Get Up Nation. I hope you're enjoying the Get Up Nation podcast on www.anchor.fm. As a podcast host on over 20 platforms, I really enjoy how easy it is to use Anchor, how Anchor makes everything I need available in one place for free, accessible on your smartphone or desktop computer. Go to www.anchor.fm now. In case you didn't know, Anchor has creation tools that allow you to record and edit each episode. If you're concerned about the distribution of your hard work, don't sweat it because Anchor takes care of that too. If you're considering becoming a podcaster, I would highly recommend Anchor as your choice to begin sharing your content with the world. Get Up Nation. My name is Ben Biddick. I am the creator and host of the Get Up Nation podcast, where I serve individuals, organizations, and societies to develop and sustain resilience and perseverance. I'm the co-author of Get Up, The Art of Perseverance with former Major League Baseball player and CEO of Wurong Living, Adam Greenberg. The Get Up Nation podcast is brought to you in partnership with GotYour6Coffee.com where Navy veteran Eric Hadley is committed to serving first responders, veterans, and their families through a variety of nonprofit organizations. No stranger to adversity, Eric has fused necessity of coffee with his passion for public service. You're already purchasing coffee. Why not empower your coffee with purpose? Why not purchase coffee that not only has your six, but also has the backs of those who don a uniform of service for our communities and great country. Learn more about Eric and his freshly roasted award-winning coffee at gotyoursixcoffee.com. Also coming out in July 2019 from Penguin Random House is a book I had the honor of writing the foreword for called Warrior's Book of Virtues, a field manual for living your best life. Combat veterans Nick Bennis, Matt Bloom, and Buzz Bryan share how lessons they learned during their service can help empower you into a life of deep and lasting virtue no matter the obstacles you face. Available now at the links below. Welcome to this episode of the Get Up Nation podcast. Recently, I had the honor and privilege of speaking with Rob Campbell, author of the book, It's Personal, Not Personnel. He's the founder of Investing in People Consulting and Coaching, where he shares his expertise and insight with those seeking to determine organizational problems and their root causes, those seeking to develop self and other awareness, and those who desire to become authentic, introspective, transparent leaders that employees want to follow. Rob regularly serves as a keynote speaker where he inspires HR professionals and organizational leaders to serve more effectively. He coaches CEOs and organizational leaders to create improved operating methods and helps organizations develop their people into thriving, engaged contributors. In order to help organizations achieve these results, Rob pulls from his experience in the United States Army, where he served more than 27 years and achieved the rank of Colonel. Rob is a husband, father, author, Army Ranger, paratrooper and combat veteran. During his career in the military, he led groups of people that ranged in size from 24 to over 5,000. His experience and insight helps organizations overcome their challenges and lead change as a profound example of Get Up Nation and Ideal State Consulting's commitment to helping others share the myriad of lessons they've learned in order to create vibrant, flourishing legacies of positive impact. I relish the opportunity to speak today with Rob Campbell. Rob, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ben. Great to be here. To get started here, will you share some of your background in military service? What led to your decision to volunteer? Sure. All started back in Massachusetts in the uh, late 80s. After I got out of high school, went to college, and 
ran out of money. Uh, I was kind of broke. The Massachusetts Army National Guard was offering pretty good scholarships. You know, I was always an independent person, wanted to kind of pay my own pass. And uh, like, you know, my dad was in the reserves. Like, so, okay, I could probably do this. But it was more out of, I guess, just interest, general interest, and you know, a few extra bucks in my pocket. But it really turned into a a love and a passion for me. I didn't quite know it. I didn't make the basketball team. I was a basketball fanatic in high school. Didn't make the team in college. And so it was like a turning point in my life. That's when I found the Army. And um, everything I did in the Army was just, wow, this is neat. I kind of like this, the leadership aspect of it, the challenge. And off it went. Went on active duty in 1991 after college and never looked back. Climbed all the ranks all the way up to Colonel and Brigade Command. And it was great. An amazing journey with my family and I. And incredible chapter in our lives. What are some of the, your proudest, most satisfying moments of service? The, the ones that stick out to me is when you got, you know, you get an accolade from a boss or you see somebody under your command that you trained and invested in really shine and, and succeed. I still get notes. I just got one two weeks ago from a soldier that I sent a thank you note to that still had it and you know so it's moments like that that show me that gosh I, I guess i made a difference you know what it really mattered so it's just a bunch of them like that over the years that have really been the great ones for me and then what have been some of the greatest challenges you faced during your military career certainly after 9-11 in the whole era of war there all the way as really the latter half of my career just the operational tempo and the demands on soldiers and families very, very challenging. But the Army is moving at a rapid pace. It didn't slow down as I transitioned out a few years ago. It's just, just a very, very demanding time. So, you know, my, my combat deployments clearly stick out as the most challenging times. There was a lot of uh, responsibility and risk and all that placed on the shoulders of men and women. To see them perform in, in all of those situations was really inspiring. But it really challenged me as a leader to ensure that I was leading my people correctly, to ensure that I was making the best decisions because lives were at stake. Very serious time. So that really sticks out as the biggest challenge to me, that era of conflict and war following 9-11. What is a, a moment that you're extremely proud of that is outside of military service? It's been raising my two sons and being a family man, a husband. All of that is central to me and, and most important. At the end of the day, many of your listeners know all you have is your family. And so I cherish all those moments. I'm extremely proud to call myself a dad and to watch my sons flourish. Extremely proud of both of them. They're now 25 and 21 and making their way in the world the way they want. And I think they're fine young men, not perfect, but I think they're a result of a couple of things. I like to think my wife and I got it right in terms of raising them, but also part of a, a selfless society, a values-based society being in the military. I think a lot of that got into them, into their DNA, and so I'm really proud of that. that that's the biggest thing I reflect on. It's you know, two fine young men and a lovely wife and you know, a pretty tight family. We've been through some tough times, and we all bonded very tight, so what I cherish the most. As you know, here we focus heavily on resilience and, and how people can yeah. handle challenges successfully and stay positive and overcome adversity. Mm -hmm. How essential is it for military families to possess resilience during their service and afterward? It's critical. I mean, it really is. Resilience is, is everything. It allows a family to get through hardship, all the curveballs that come at you, especially in, in military service as the military forces the family to separate you know, and being in different places, combat deployments and training and moving from base to base. It can be stressful and it can be difficult and hard.
hard to overcome. And so we always found that communicating through all of that, probably the most important thing in terms of being resilient and getting through things and just coming together as a family and communicating and sharing our feelings and wrestling with them and trying to make the best of it. You don't always have the answers. You know, like my first combat deployment, I didn't know. I didn't know how to say goodbye. You know, I didn't know how to reintegrate back into the family after I came back. So family resilience is, is very, very important. And it's not just in combat. Life is, is crazy now. And there's so many shiny objects and, and influencers out there with social media and whatnot. That families need to be resilient. With such a small percentage of Americans serving in the armed forces, the gap between veterans and civilians appears to be yeah. very, very wide today. Civilians are recognizing, though, the, the immense value of hiring veterans or those with military experience. Since you've operated in both military and civilian environments, why do you think entrepreneurs and business leaders are finding such value in people like you, Jocko Willink, and other leaders who have served? Any organization needs some discipline and structure behind it. And any organization wants people to kind of take on things and not, not necessarily be prompted into action. And so that's what, that's what you get with a lot of military people. Like we, we, we come in, we get a job description, but especially in these times of modern warfare, the demands upon us and what's required of us is not clearly written in our job description, right? So we come out of that and get behind the mission, wherever it might be, get behind the boss with everything we have. It's in our DNA, and it's just a natural thing. And I, I believe that's what businesses appreciate so much about veterans is they don't just wait around to be told what to do. They they take charge, they grab onto things, and they display a, a, you know, a loyalty that's just very remarkable in terms of getting the mission done and getting the job done. They're not nine to five people. It's, it's to get the mission done or whatever it takes. And that's, that's what you get when you hire a veteran and bring them in. And that's what I think is so attractive with people like myself and all the other veterans out there that, you know, get going into the workforce. I like how you make a distinction. You say there's a difference between veteran-friendly businesses and veteran-ready businesses. Mm -hmm. Will you share the distinction there? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. Because I'm doing a lot of work in that space, and I, I really want to help businesses be ready to receive veterans and, and, and benefit from all that they bring. But uh, one of the things I discovered in my years since retirement is, you know, everybody's veteran-friendly. You know why? I mean, everybody. You go to a sure, we love veterans. We'd love to have a veteran. But so what? What's behind that? Uh, there's a difference between veteran-ready, uh, veteran-friendly and veteran-ready. Veteran-friendly fr uh, yeah, we love veterans, we support veterans, we'd love to hire some. And that's where it ends, right? That you could be veteran friendly and that's your that's your standard you have to meet is you just have to be friendly to them. Veteran ready means that your organization is ready to take in a veteran to attract them to your organization, to recruit and attract them, to onboard them and to retain them when they come in. And when I say veteran ready, I use that readiness is a is a military term, right? Readiness in the military means that you're ready to fight tonight. Qualify with your weapon, your family is ready for the separation, you've done all the right paperwork, you've got all the training complete. It's all there so that the military can our nation can call on us at any time. Well, for business being ready, there are certain gates and, and standards they would have to have. Like you would have to have a family program if you really truly want to be veteran ready. And that means including the families into, you know, what's happening in the business and maybe meetings and events like that will bring families together and having some sort of a contact roster. We can get a hold of families in times of emergency. There's got to be good leadership structure 
in the organization. So something a veteran is used to is some sort of good chain of command or a, a chain of concern or people above that gets kind of crystal clear for them. Vision, values, culture, all things that are healthy for a business, but that veterans look for when they walk in. When I talk to a lot of veterans that take jobs, we're not, we're not talking about paychecks. Certainly pay is important. I don't want to overlook that. But what we're talking about is, yeah, hey, listen, I took this job over here. They got a really good team. Uh, they got a good set of values. I like the culture. So you hear what I'm saying? It's, it, it doesn't anything about nothing about paychecks. It's about the environment and the culture in an organization. And that's what's got to be strong and, and ready to not only hire a veteran, but to keep them on board. And that's really what readiness all is. It's the things that you do. It's the policies that you have. It's the environments that you set that cause you and allow you to be veteran ready. So as these organizations try to pull veterans in, try to be veteran ready, what are some of the common friction points that these businesses experience when the diversity of having a non-veteran employee with some veteran employees, are there common friction points? And how do they get through that? Or how do they get the best out of everyone? Yeah, good question, Ben. There are common friction points. Well, I've given a speech on veteran-ready businesses, and at the end of it, uh, what I closed with is like, listen, if you get this veteran-ready stuff right, if you're able to do all these things, good culture, good values, long onboarding, intensive onboarding to really bring them in and make them feel included, you're not only going to attract veterans, you're going to attract everybody. That's the beauty of it, because who doesn't want a family program? Who doesn't want their family to be included? Who doesn't want to be brought in and, and made part of the team and become part of that band of brothers and sisters in that company? And everybody wants that kind of stuff. So that's the beauty of being veteran-ready. Organizations stumble nowadays, not just to be veteran-ready, but to establish those good, positive environments and have strong leadership because there's not a lot of investment there. They're spending all their time in revenue and profitability and product line and service and in making improvements to efficiency and all those things that grow a business. And they're important. Don't get me wrong. I don't mean to to downplay them. But where they don't invest is into the leadership, making strong leaders, good managers that can lead their people, connect with their people very well. Good environments of vision, values, and culture that attract and inspire people to go the extra mile in organizations. There's not a lot of investment there because you don't necessarily see your return overnight. Whereas you might make an investment into a marketing campaign, you can see the results of that pretty quick. Well, these kind of things like leadership and environments and culture take time. It's like working out in a gym. You don't see results right away. They take time to, to blossom, and that's what's really powerful. But if you look at the Gallup polls, I mean, there's the truth right there. You've got about between 65 and 70% of employees disengaged from their place of work. That means they don't share their bosses' emphasis and drive to want to take that organization to new heights. So it's across the business world where they're having problems with that right now. But what I do a lot of when I go into companies to help them overcome that, which is where you find your friction points with veterans that might go in and be romanced by a nice paycheck and chance to, you know, grow a beard, wear some flip-flops, but then the novelty wears off over time, you know. What are some of the misconceptions from civilian business leaders when they come in contact with veterans, the veteran population? Uh -huh. what, what are their misconceptions? Yeah, there's a few. One is, that, you know, we're all ticking time bombs 
for all these PTSD uh, people that are walking in, and if you say and do the wrong thing, you know, we'll fly off the handle. Well, I mean, statistically, PTSD is very, very small, it's like 7% or something. Uh, and even of that small population out there, that many of them are, are treating it very well. There's that, you know, misperception. The other one is that we're going to come in and be abrasive, hard, you know, take the hill, shut up and follow me kind of leaders. Sure, there are some like that. There are some like that on the civilian side as well. But I, I would submit, by and large, we're very people-focused. We understand what makes people tick and how to connect with them. And we know that the abrasiveness doesn't work. There's a time and place for it on the battlefield, but it doesn't work in a regular business. And so we're able to tailor that. So I think there's a few misconceptions there in terms of what you might get with a veteran. The last one is they see us all in an even playing field. You know, a veteran is a veteran is a veteran, right? So uh, a Navy supply clerk that did six-year enlistment and then got out, very different from an Army commander that commanded a brigade. doesn't make one better than the other. It's just that we're different. And so when you say veteran, they kind of put us on an even keel. They don't quite know what they're getting. Not their fault. That's what the military should help with. That's what guys like me can help. If you got two of these resumes, four of these resumes stacked up, let me tell you the difference between these people in terms of what you're looking for in that role. You wouldn't get a lot of leadership out of a Navy supply clerk that did a few years. Again, does it make him or her any less of a person? They just don't have that seasoned leadership that somebody more senior might have coming from a different occupational skill. As I was reviewing your book and some of the keynote speeches that you've done, is you really articulate uh -huh. the, the value of people and how people may not understand that in the military, it's so people-focused that you're going into something where there's risk, there's harm, there's potential for violence, there's all sorts of uh, situations happening, but it really causes you to value people. It really causes you to yes. value life, to know that it can be taken away in an instant, to know that any given time there's no guarantees in life, and it helps you really value a friend, uh, reliability, yep. strength, and you get through that adversity together. You, everywhere you go, you're with someone. Any thoughts on that from somebody who's led these organizations and, and seeing that in the people that you've led and the pride that that inspires within you as you see that yeah. happening? Anything you'd like to speak on on that? Yeah, absolutely. One of the keynotes that I give is called Valor in the Workplace. The title of it is a little odd, right? Valor, what do you mean Valor in the Workplace? We're not diving on grenades or rushing machine gun pits here at Company ABC. In that keynote, as I tell the story of Valor on the battlefield, I take them back to a unit I commanded in Afghanistan during the surge. In 2009, and I replay this horrific attack that occurred and the Valor associated with that attack and what these men and women did for their buddies rushing into danger. You know, I also tell the story of Jack Jacobs, the Medal of Honor recipient from Vietnam. And I talk about his his valorous acts on the battlefield. And a lot of times in the military we look and say, where do we find people like this? How, you know, where do these people come from? You know, are these just these perfect beings that were raised appropriately and were wired correctly for this moment in time? Well the answer is they're anybody. They're just they're you and me. They're the people in the audience that I'm speaking to. It's the environments that create that valorous act. You know, it's that teaming and, and togetherness and belonging in environments, which you can do in the office to create those acts of valor. Acts of valor at their core are acts of love. That's what valor truly is at its very basic. So the thought of your own suffering, your own inconvenience, uh, your own hardship is nothing compared to the thought of someone else's 
hardship, someone else's suffering. And so because of that, you do what you do. You, you force yourself into uncomfort. You come out of your, your office, your cubicle, you come away from that busy work that you're doing to assist another in accomplishing what it is they're trying to do because you know it's important and you know that they need you. That's what valor is in the workplace. And so that's the way I describe this. And it comes through rituals at work, you know, teaming events, huddling together as a team, being up close, belonging, you know, a shared future and things like that. That's how you get to valor. That's my thoughts on that, and that's one of the keynotes that I give to demonstrate hmm. how businesses can do it. And I wanted to touch on something, too. I saw on your website, it's robcampbellleadership.com, and you took uh-huh. the time to articulate your life's core purpose. It reads, yes. to make a difference in the lives of others through optimistic leadership. Will you share what led to the adoption of this focus for your life? Yeah, before I took command of a, a large brigade of about 5,000 men and women in the fall of 2000. 13. Uh, That summer, I went through a lot of pre-command courses to get prepared for that large leadership position. And one of them was a a seminar called True Growth that the Army was running for commanders. And it was a weekend-long seminar. And I went through and and I was able to pick out key words, things that were important to me to determine if I was in a season of growth or decline or whatever it might be. And uh, get a chance to look at myself and see myself and do some introspection and self-awareness. And through that seminar, I developed that core purpose that you just read. Mm-hmm. And that's what I am. That defines me. And so I was fortunate in that respect where whatever I do in life, I've got to fulfill that. It was easy in the Army, right, because they'd put me in leadership positions and I could make a difference in the lives of others every day. Mm-hmm. Well, on the outside, I've got to do the same thing. And so that's why I wrote the book and that's why I do my speaking and coaching and consulting because it gives me that opportunity to, to do just that. I think that's what's missing from today's veteran transition. We're asking the wrong question, and that is, uh, hey, Jim or Marianne, you're being ready to transition out of the military. What do you want to do? We should be asking, who are you? Hmm. That's the key. And if you'd ask me that, that's the answer I'd give. And therefore, because of that, I've got this to find employment or a passion or something out there that fulfills that. That doesn't mean I can't get a job. I certainly can. I could get a job tomorrow as a VP in an organization and have a chance to make a difference in the lives of others. But I was fortunate to do that. And, you, know, you can go to my website, com forward slash book. There's some self-awareness exercises in there. And it's very simple in a sense. I coach people into doing some self-awareness and introspection to determine what it is that makes you tick, that gets you out of bed in the morning and allows you to go to bed at night fulfilled. And that's key. And you've got to stay true to that. And it's not easy. Believe me, I've got to revisit that that statement uh, a lot to ensure that I'm staying on track because there's all kinds of shiny objects and distractors out there. You referenced a Gallup poll which read that 70% of employees in today's workforce are not engaged at work, meaning they're not psychologically committed to their jobs, happy in the workplace, and likely to be making positive contributions to their organizations. So for you, how satisfying is it when you're able to take people who are not engaged and not committed to their jobs and transition them into a reality where they're thriving, committed, and engaged to take a population of people who are disengaged 
in our nation where you know people who have given their lives so that we have the opportunity uh-huh. to live, to grow, to thrive, to make the most of each moment, to take that dissatisfaction and make it into something that not only gives them a satisfying and engaging experience and, and contributes positively, uh-huh. but also honors the memory of all those who have made it possible for us as we live and breathe in this nation. Uh, how satisfying yeah. is that for you to create that kind of impact in the world? Uh, it's, it's everything, Dan. I mean, that's why I do what I do. And I, I just have this constant thirst, unquenchable thirst to be able to do something like that. I've got a few initiatives I'm working on right now to help veterans transition. And I do love the work that I do inside of companies. You know, everyone needs a cause, right? And I think a lot of businesses are talking about their cause. In the military, it's easy. Defense of the nation, you know, care of America's sons and daughters and their families. That's a cause I can get behind. That inspires me every day. Well, businesses sometimes it's just about making a widget or providing a service. But there's more to it than that. A lot of times I, I have the ability to take business leaders back to that that foundational moment of that organization. Maybe years ago or maybe a handful of years ago when they're all sitting on the porch drinking a beer and they had this great idea. And the next thing you know, it's years down the road and here they are. But you take them back to that moment, what inspired them, what was the cause, what was the, the problem they were solving. And that can really get people inspired behind that cause, behind that vision, behind that mission. And that gives me a lot of satisfaction to be able to shed light on that and get people rallied around, you know, a true cause and inspire them to want to take their organizations to new heights. That's, I think, the greatest way to attack that disengagement is to be inspirational, is to talk about your vision, values, and cultures every day, all the time. Because that's what inspires people to do what they need to do. You can certainly hold them to task and look at statistics and watch their performance measures. But if you're not balancing that with inspirational stuff and love and nurturing and all that of them, they'll be disengaged by default. They'll drift into that disengagement. Is there anything you'd like my audience to understand about you or your services that you think they need to know so that they can develop resilience in their life? Anything you'd like to share? Well, I probably hit on a lot of it, you know, in our discussion here. I appreciate the platform. I'm just very people-centric, and I think if you could be people-centric, if you can look through that lens as a leader, the first thing you look at is your people. How does this affect my people? What's this going to do to my people? How can I motivate my people? How can I meet their desires? A lot of things I talk about in my book, you'll have amazing results. I saw it. My brigade was the number one brigade in the Army for human resource performance. We led our division in retention, and I'm still, to the day, in contact with people from that organization that I championed and invested in. If I could leave the audience with one thing, is to look through that people lens, see what makes them tick, get to know them. How was your weekend? What's going on in your life? Here's what's happening in my life. Make that bond, that connection with people in the workplace. You can accomplish anything. The tasks that you have in front of you will get done if, if people know that you're investing in them. All right. I'm going to throw six quick questions at you to, to end the <laughs> okay. show. And the first one is, who are you thankful for today? Who am I thankful for today? I'm thankful for my wife. She's my best friend in the world. She's made the biggest influence on me. I was in a group the other day, and a question was posed, not at me, but who's the person that's made the biggest difference in your life? And she's the one I thought about immediately. We were high school sweethearts, and she's allowed me to see things I would not normally see. She's given me a different perspective on things, and she's just made me a better person. Hmm. And now that we've covered who you're thankful for today, what are you thankful for today? What am I thankful for? Well, I'm 
I'm thankful for a, a fantastic career in the Army and all that it gave me. It made me a different person. And I'm thankful for this great country that we live in, you know, that I have the freedom to do what I need to do. And there's possibilities out there, and anybody can be anything they want. Yeah, thankful for a lot. How do you fuel the fire within you? How do I fuel the fire within me? I seek inspiration. I learn. I'm a, I'm a learning organization. I'll pursue my Ph.D. at some point in time when the timing's right. But that's... That's where I get inspiration. I watch TED Talks and I go to, to public places and listen to people speak on leadership and, you know, people-centric leadership in the workplace. And that's where I gather inspiration. That's what kind of fuels me is things like that, new ideas. I, I, I love being in the private sector here. And I can pop the hood on a business and kind of see what's happening. And when somebody grabs onto those kind of things and takes them and runs with them and they work, I, I get a ton of fulfillment out of that. What is one thing adversity taught you to value? What is one thing adversity taught me to value? I think it's, it's, it's probably communication. When you face adversity, a lot of us want to bottle things up. A lot of us are nervous and afraid to ask others for help, to seek alternative opinions, to push our ego down. And so when you can communicate with somebody else, you can share a hardship and be transparent and say, listen, I don't know this. I, I, I don't have any knowledge here in the space. You know, like I could use your help. I think communication to me has just been really key. And that's how I've gotten through adversity is, is to communicate what I don't know, what I do know, what I think, and seek the advice and wisdom of others. What are you doing today you may have never thought you could? My business, it's just recently boosted. I'm just a one-person business. You know, I'm not a, you know, be the next Google or, or any large organization like that. I just like what I do. Didn't realize I could get to this. It, it was scary and nervous. Never written a book before. Never run an LLC before. Never been a CEO or a founder. Certainly, I did a lot of that stuff in the Army, but my brigade was never going to go out of business, you know? And so, do challenges in this world, and that's the thing that I'm pretty amazed at is my ability that, you know, I've connected with a lot of people. Right here in Wilmington, North Carolina, I know a lot more people now. I can go to networking events, and I'm recognized by a lot of folks. And that's only because I've worked very hard to network and prove my worth and show them that I can add value and make a difference in this community. So um, that's the stuff that's neat. You know, two or three years ago, I don't know if that was possible, you know, so I was wondering some days and I almost jumped off the ship a few times and went on a different direction. Glad I stayed the course. And what will you do tomorrow that you may have never thought you could? What will I do tomorrow I never thought I could? I will, uh, I'll get my next book done. I, I've got a bulk of it written. When I wrote the first one, I just didn't think I was a multi-book author. I mean, that was a big task to take on, but... What I learned, not only in the process, but I guess more so after the process, is that, yeah, I've got three more books in me at least that I can think of right now, and maybe a few more, so I'll be a multi-book author, and then maybe get my, my doctorate, probably not tomorrow, but you know, down the road, that'll be something I never dreamed of, you know. So how can people learn more about you and your work? Best place to go to is robcampbellleadership.com. Good news is my website's under construction, so I think early September you'll see the new and improved. I've got, I'm doing a lot of stuff on the speaker side now because I do like the keynotes. And that's one of my favorite things to do is to go in and give speeches. But when you go to my website, it's got all my contact info in there about me. You can link in. I do some blogging. I'm not a constant blogger, but that's that's kind of my home. And then the other place, uh, probably more so, is LinkedIn. Rob Campbell Leadership, you can find me on LinkedIn. I've got over 17,000 contacts on LinkedIn. I put a lot of content on there, and it's a lot of fun. You know, I'll come up with an idea like yesterday, and I just did a quick video and posted it on there, or an article. It's, it's neat to see how those things take off and the impact that they make. But that's where you'll find me.
Rob, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Ben. I appreciate what you're doing. And likewise, if I could ever help all of 